This is Maine Coast Doc Talk, a podcast bringing you the latest news and stories from Maine's working waterfronts. This podcast is brought to you by the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. This is a three-part podcast series about the Portland working waterfront and the issues that have arisen between the commercial fishermen, lobstermen, ground fishermen, and others about the current state of Portland development. The first podcast was entirely dedicated to the fishermen themselves, with contributions from Willis Spear and Jim Buxton. In this second pod, Rising Tide, I'll be speaking about the development that has arisen on Commercial Street, also known as Route 1 and the zoning that it is intended to protect marine use and access to the water. This pod includes interviews with Bill Needleman, the waterfront coordinator for the city of Portland, and Charlie Poole, the proprietor of Union Wharf. Lastly, in the third pod, we'll hear about the long-time struggle of fishermen from the perspective of fishing families, artists, and city stakeholders. You're listening to part two, Rising Tide. Thanks for listening. Portland, like any city, has evolved over time to accommodate different uses and revenue sources. The railroad has come and gone, as has the logging industry down the Four River, on which Portland and South Portland harbors are located. But fishing has remained, and for good reason. In the first pod, Willis Spear and Jim Buxton outlined just why Portland is so important, given its location, depth, and position as a transportation hub. It is because of these factors that fishing has remained the longest-standing industry in the city of Portland. Commercial Street wasn't here, but Portland's center of, of business was the waterfront. That's Charlie Poole, one of the proprietors of Union Wharf since 1983. His family has owned the entire pier since the 1800s and has been associated with the pier for a century prior. You know, as I said, if I had a picture of what we looked like in 1983 versus what we look like today, you wouldn't, other than the roadway, you might not recognize the place. Over the years, and right up until about 1960, uh, my father and his brother, so, so my grandmother had two sons, William and Parker, my uncle is still alive at 95, um, they uh, finally bought the last of the non-family members out of this whole thing. And that brought it totally under the pool family control. But Portland back then wasn't nearly as congested with people and businesses as it is presently. Portland isn't anything. This was 1972, 3, 4, 5 back in that time. It wasn't anything like it is today in terms of what's going on on Commercial Street. And you used to drive in here, you'd go get on the boat and go lobstering. It wasn't anywhere near the people. It wasn't a tourist mecca. It wasn't... And there weren't any cruise ships, there weren't any marinas or any of that stuff. And this is just the trend. No end seems to be in sight for Portland to halt its expansion and result in congestion. But there is zoning to protect the working waterfront and to retain the industrial working capacity. Those rules promote a balance between the needs of a working waterfront and the needs for continued investment in infrastructure and the legitimate expectations for return on investment for private properties. The goal of the central waterfront and its zone, the waterfront central zone, 
is to establish a hierarchy of use where water dependent uses are the highest priority, marine related uses, those uses which benefit from the water and contribute to the waterfront economy, but don't need to be on the water. They are the second priority. And then the, the bottom of the pyramid are compatible non-marine uses. That's Bill Needleman. I'm the waterfront coordinator for the city of Portland, Maine. I work out of the economic development department. Bill is an expert on the zoning regulations that control the waterfront area of Portland, as well as the co-author of the zoning language, by which every business, tenant, and landowner abides by along the water. The central waterfront zone is an area on which I will focus in this podcast, but there are a total of three in Portland. There is the eastern waterfront, which is largely passenger port, the western waterfront, which is freight and industry, and the central waterfront, which is our most complicated and mixed-use zone, which is fishing, tourism, and mixed-use development. The central waterfront, because it is complicated, has complicated rules attached. And from here arises much of the contention. Along the waterfront, there is and has been a fierce dispute between the rights of non-marine uses and marine uses, which extend past commercial fishing to water taxis and other businesses that rely on being on the water to conduct their day-to-day -day operations. Here's Jim Buxton, who you heard in the first pod. Now, the desire to be in Portland is understandable, but there is a public policy imperative to preserve what can't be reproduced, okay? They call it zoning. The idea of zoning is to limit the uses to make sure that the public good is recognized, okay? So, you know, the, our problem right now is, is we have a belief of, you know, the highest and best use, okay, for property value, property tax. The zoning hasn't always done the best job at protecting the interests of the fishermen and putting marine use as the highest priority. And there's been many, many changes to the zoning and the codes with it from 1983 to now. I, I can't count how many times it gets revisited and gets more relaxed by uh, the city council. So I, I really got involved with that issue of uh, relaxation of the zoning in 1983. And I was involved with the referendum in 1987. That's Willis Spear, a lobsterman also in podcast one. Willis has been an activist and an advocate for the fishing community, initially starting in 1987 with a referendum to ban non-marine activity on the waterfront side of Commercial Street. The referendum followed the construction of the condominium project in the 1980s, which took up the entirety of Chandler's Wharf, displacing all the fishermen from their former berthing and forcing them to relocate elsewhere. Chandler's Wharf development represents the entire contention along the waterfront of Portland. So that particular project uh, looms over current conversations in the waterfront. So I do encourage you to go and stand there and look at Woodrow Wharf and look at Chandler's Wharf and just think about it because the whole story is right there. Woodrow Wharf, built in the mid to late 16th century, is and has been dedicated entirely to commercial marine use since its construction. Was that general recognition that Commercial Street still had that dual role, 
that the properties along Commercial Street had, were providing little to no support for the marine economy and that their transition, those properties transitions, not just the buildings transition, those properties transition, had the potential to generate a lot of economic activity for the city generally. Um, there was also the recognition that if there was a tie to the marine economy, that the economic activity along Commercial Street could have a side benefit to marine infrastructure if there was a logical tie. The zoning that came about as a result of the Chandler's Wharf development of the pier was a backlash against the development, and since then, there hasn't been any residential or temporary residential uses along the waterfront. Simultaneously, it is in the city's interest to grow its economy and diversify its businesses. The mechanism by which zoning attempts to foster economic growth and at the same time protect marine dependent uses is the 55-45 rule. 55% of buildings must be dedicated to marine use, while 45% can be utilized by non-marine uses such as restaurants, according to the zoning language. This applies to all buildings in the waterfront central zone, which incorporates all of commercial fishing in the city of Portland. But there are a few exceptions. The non-marine use overlay zone was created to help ensure economic activity in addition to the revenue streams from the fishing industry of Portland. It was that general recognition that Commercial Street still had that dual role, that the properties along Commercial Street had, were providing little to no support for the marine economy, and that their transition, those properties transitions, not just the buildings transition, those properties transition, had the potential to generate a lot of economic activity for the city generally. Um, there was also the recognition that if there was a tie to the marine economy, that the economic activity along Commercial Street could have a side benefit to marine infrastructure if there was a logical tie. Amended several times since the late 1980s, the overlay currently extends 50 feet on the water side of Commercial Street towards the ocean. So, all the buildings directly along Commercial Street on the waterfront side do not necessarily have to abide by the 55-45 rule, allowing them to remain entirely non-marine if the owners of those buildings so choose. There's a zone within the zone. They call it an overlay zone, which is in, within the practice of zoning, there is just the, the bulk geometry, and then there can be what are described as overlays. Um, within the waterfront central zone, there's a non-marine use overlay. It runs along Commercial Street, so when I said that if you're along Commercial Street, you can go 100% non-marine, that is a mechanism of the, of the overlay. Um, that overlay is not a straight line. It includes the large parking lots because the large parking lots don't contain marine use. 
So that was an ability to expand development opportunity without causing displacement. Um, the intent back in 2010 when it was created was to promote development of those spaces to a higher and better use other than surface parking with the expectation that it would also promote investment in marine infrastructure that would benefit qualifying commercial marine uses. The non-marine use overlay zone additionally incorporates the large parking lots of Fisherman's Wharf, on which there's a large development project proposed. David Bateman from Bateman Partners, petitioning the city to alter the zoning regulations to allow for a hotel along the waterfront side of Commercial Street, has been met with staunch opposition from the fishing community and members of Portland. His multi-million dollar project is just one of many proposals along Commercial Street at the time, forcing Portland to choose what the city values more. The cultural heritage and the massive economic constitution that the fishermen of Portland provide versus an economy based on ever-fluctuating tourism. Mr. Bateman's proposed project, although it is one of many proposals, could have the potential to impact the long-term face of Commercial Street and Portland as a whole. Here's Charlie Poole's take on it. I mean, I don't have any problem with somebody putting up a building like this because it's going to generate tax revenue for the city. It's bringing people down into the waterfront, which some might complain and say, hey, we don't. but those people are buying goods and services, which helps support the economy down here. The bad thing would be we're going to lift all the regulations and the entire pier could become non, no more protection for the working waterfront. That would not be good. So the zoning right now protects, parking is protected, access to the bursts are protected. Uh, I can't take a building out of marine service without getting a change of use. I have to offer it to the marine world first. If they don't take it, and even with that, I'm only allowed a certain, that's 55, 45. The maximum I could do is 45%, but I don't think that would ever happen. Mr. Poole is a strong proponent of mixed use for the waterfront central zone. As a peer owner, he recognizes the need to subsidize the commercial marine activity with revenue streams from other sources, as marine sources cannot always foot the bill for retaining the integrity of a pier from which they operate. Diversification is incredibly Huge. important. Huge. You can't. Retaining. You cannot operate. I go to the nth degree to say you can't operate these properties without diversification. And if you don't have a steady flow of revenue. And that's exactly what the pools are working on right now, directly off of Commercial Street. An office building with first floor parking for the tenants that simultaneously makes a profit for the owners of the building and also keeps the birthing rents low and the pier in good shape for the fishermen. That being said, as long as the non-marine uses do not force out the marine-oriented industries and fishermen, mixed use is an appropriate business model on which other property owners along Commercial Street should emulate. If the marine side is prioritized as it is in the zoning language, then we should see a prosperous fishing economy for years to come. However, with the construction of buildings that displace fishermen, this is where the community needs to start worrying. One of the biggest issues for development along Commercial Street is that there are many short-term investors trying to take a piece of the pie. The good news with long-term family property ownership is that the proprietors, such as the Poole family, are invested in ensuring the preservation of their wharves because they know the fishing families who call the Port of Portland home. They also have seen the historical trajectory of the city and the involvement of the fishing community within it. 
The problem arises with short-term investors who don't understand the context and the history surrounding the port. But given that many property owners along Commercial Street are not wharf or pier owners themselves, they have no incentive to accommodate and care for the marine industries, especially if their goal is to construct a hotel or a condo, which is the fear with the proposals such as David Bateman's. Mr. Bateman does not have a pier to invest in or an incentive to protect the fishing industry that has been here for centuries before he first came to Maine. There is a qualified positive that comes with development. That is, a 5% investment into qualifying marine infrastructure taken from total project costs. So, whatever Mr. Bateman would end up spending on a hotel, he would then have to take 5% of that value and invest into qualifying marine infrastructure. This does not necessarily mean the fishing industry, however. Other businesses, such as water taxis, are included on that list, so it doesn't necessarily invest or protect the fishing industry at all. As Jim Buxton spoke to in the first part of the series, it's not necessarily the presence of a single building that will put the nail in the coffin for the fishing industry in Portland. It's the trend. This is the rising tide of development. Jim, who dives for urchins off a boat that docks in Portland, explains the complexities of displacement. Now, I dive on the Providian, which is the big blue boat at the end of Deke's Wharf. And Ryan Reisbeck, the, one of the owners of the Providian, told me that if he can't land in Portland, he can't land in Rockland because the harbor isn't deep enough. So he would have to go somewhere else. Is Portsmouth big enough for him? Yes. But then you're literally trucking 60 more miles, 50 more miles. Every fish landed in Portsmouth that has to go to whatever harbor in Maine has to go 50 miles further. And the Providian is a boat that can land a million pounds of fish when it's full. I mean, work the math. At 50,000 pounds of truckload, that's a whole bunch of trucks every time they land. Now, right now the quotas prevent them from doing that, but when they first showed up in town, they came in every morning with a million pounds of fish. And when they shut down for maintenance or repairs, there was a shortage of bait on the entire coast of Maine. Okay, when they were mid- Just from a boat. From one, one boat. So, by building along the waterfront, where most businesses don't necessarily need to be located in order to function and maintain a considerable stream of revenue, fishermen are being displaced. And when fishermen are displaced from the piers of Portland, there are not too many other legitimate fallbacks for the fishermen to dock their boats in the state of Maine. Ultimately, the fishermen being forced to leave results in the loss of their businesses for the state of Maine because they then have to turn out of state to get their product to market, which would have an enormous economic consequence up and down the coast. Willis Spear has done some rough estimates on the value of the fishing industry in just Portland and has come up with some staggering figures. The big picture cannot yield the amount of money that could be made from fish or uh, cargoes, general cargoes like nine skip up above the bridge. You can't, you can't even compare we, we just took numbers of these little lobster boats on each of the wharfs and it, it 
numbered roughly a hundred. And we put a price to each boat, not a, a huge number, but roughly a hundred, a stock, a gross stock for each boat of $150,000 a year. That's reasonable, reasonable for this area. And if you added them all up, and then you added up what you saw these bait trucks that are driving down these wharfs, you saw the, the trucks, there's heron boats that take out heron. You add up that heron, and then if you add up the ground fish that's taken out at the fish pier, it, it's it's still it's it's only a shadow of what it was. But that was 15 million dollars for the ground fish in, in the. Bait business is what was staggering. It was over $140 million a year that comes over these wharfs. And then with the lobsters, I, I, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was like 17 to $20 million. But then it came out to $230 million that comes up over these wharfs. And you can't do it anywhere else. It has to come from these boats. It has to come to a, a location that, where trucks can get the product to market. So it's not just the economics that are in favor of preserving the fishing community. It's also the people's way of life. One hotel will erase the zoning that has been in place protecting the fishermen and their access to the water for decades. Not only that, though, increased congestion on Commercial Street will always follow continued development. Recognizing the fact that the congestion is a reflection of success. You know, Commercial Street is a very successful part of the city right now. Um, we, the fishermen that I talk to, fear that they are not going to have a place in that success, and that that success is coming at their expense. Um, I think there there are opportunities to help that success, the success of Commercial Street also be a success for fishermen. If we can shorten up the distance between harvesting and consumption, hopefully that will generate higher dock prices and will positively impact fishermen's bottom line. Figuring out how that, how that, that happens with, these, with the combination of businesses that we have down there is a struggle. Traffic, we complained about the traffic, and that's only increased where if you've got a perishable product, you know, you may sit for a half hour. One day we sat here for an hour before we could even get off the walk. So in, every year it seems to get worse as far as those promises that we were guaranteed, they, they just disappear. And we know, uh, I could write, uh, say, uh, write a litany and say a litany of all the 
promises that have been broken. And as mentioned in the first part of the series, displacement is the primary issue that ultimately results from development, which, in itself, has incredibly complex and unintended consequences. but it's also an encroachment on the marine working spaces, inaccessibility to marine-related businesses, and incompatibility between marine and non-marine uses. A residential building does not necessarily work in an industrial context. So it's the, the physical design of a condominium project or an, or an apartment con, con, uh, project is as much of the problem as the, as the humans that live there. So that's where it's really that the, the, the function of the building. Developers often gloss over physical incompatibility of their building with the fishing community and the waterfront. And there are plenty of problems posed to hotels or non-marine incompatible uses by placing them directly on the waterfront. The Portland Central Waterfront Zone is a floodplain. Portland is in a floodplain. And with rising sea levels on account of the warming of the planet, Portland cannot escape the fate of the rest of the world. Building a hotel in an area that consistently floods and will continue to consistently flood more and more in the future is not the soundest policy. Marine industries, on the other hand, will get by. They float. Well, imagine the day when Portland, say 20 years from now, has a, you know, a half a billion dollars worth of assets and that flood out every other year. I mean, what's a five-star hotel where the first floor floods every other year? Okay, it's no longer a five-star hotel. In some ways, that's hubris, right? Where we believe we can control Mother Nature to a point where the laws of physics don't apply, right? Additionally, building directly along the coast, where buildings are continually exposed to the elements of rain and salt water, is distinctly different from building inland. This is ongoing. You, t you build these buildings, they're expensive to maintain. They're, you know, being on the ocean is not like being inland. The conditions are worse. The salt air is corrosive. The winds are worse, you know. And so you, you, if you don't have people that can afford to maintain those buildings, they go downhill very quickly. You know, why, why build a... $10 million structure that you're going to tear down in 15 years. But more importantly. The problem with hotels is once you, as I said, once you start, where does it stop? Yeah. There's a concern that it might not be the last hotel. Uh, you know, is this, you know, does it set precedent? Right. I hear that, the, the, the precedent argument, um, you know, and so there are, you know, and so and I think that's a legitimate question to ask. Does it create a speculative value in peer property beyond what's currently permitted under zoning? Which, if those values continue to rise, would impact the cost of rent and the cost of parking and increase the cost to the fishing community. Yes, that's exactly what it means. So it's critically important to recognize that Mr. Bateman's hotel proposal is not the end of the road. It is just the beginning of an entirely new face of Portland, one which the city has never seen before, 
and one in which fishing families are no longer a part of. And this is precisely why fishermen have banded together in this particular and foreboding time, to preserve the future of the working waterfront, to save their jobs and their livelihoods, to protect the cultural heritage of fishing that was passed down through many generations before it has gotten to the people who have taken up the mantle today, and to preserve the economy of Maine as a whole, because without the fishing industry, our economic future is bleak. And one can look at waterfronts anywhere in the world and see abandoned piers, including Portland, Maine. You know, they're not, we cannot take for granted that these piers will be here forever because as soon as maintenance stops, they start falling into the ocean. And so the, the, the revenue side of the picture is as important as preservation of space for marine activity. Now, does that mean we need more hotels? That's a decision for the planning board and the city council. There are a wide range of outlooks on the future of the working waterfront. Given that the Portland working waterfront is not isolated from the rest of the coast or even the state of Maine, it can be useful to look at other port cities along the coast as reference to possibly learn from our mistakes. It's a remarkably complex piece of geography with a lot of different players, a lot of history, um, a lot of goodwill and bad blood all mixed together in one very small place. And, uh, and, but I think that the goodwill will win out in the, in the long run. You know, because I think there is a, shot, a shared value that these, that the place itself is is important, and that the industries that it support are also important. We're a hungry planet. The ocean is going to feed us. There needs to be a place where um, the products of commercial fishing and aquaculture um, come from the bay to the land and are. Um, processed and distributed to markets and I think that Commercial Street has a role to play in that commerce uh, and you know we wouldn't fret over these complicated issues if we didn't have hope that it was a, a conversation worth having. today is dramatically different than it was 30 years ago. Um, who knows what it's going to be like in 10 years, 20 years, or what have you. I mean, it's a balancing act. I'd like to think that Portland's always going to have a place for people to watch and to run their businesses. A special thanks to Willis Spear, Jim Buxton, Charlie Poole, and Bill Needleman for their voices in this pod. Of course, a thank you to all the fishermen for whom this podcast is dedicated. And thanks to the MCFA team for their help and support. Make sure to look out for the third and last episode in this series, Portland 4 a.m. versus 4 p.m., to hear from the perspectives of fishing families, advocates, and artists.
Thanks for listening.